You are listening to the REI Mastermind Podcast. Join JD as he chats with industry-leading real estate experts and professionals. We learn from their experience and uncover the strategies to their success that we can implement into our own businesses and we can drive immediate results today. They share their experience and wisdom as we build the foundation to our own success. This is the REI Mastermind Network. We have Edward O'Daniel on the call, and Edward is also known as the veteranlandlord.com. And and first of all, let's let's back up into that a little bit. When you say veteran landlord, I mean that can be two meanings. Is it is it both? It is both, yes. So I'm a disabled. I lost my right arm above the elbow here when I was serving in the military in the first Gulf War. So <clears throat> I'm a veteran from that perspective, and I'm a veteran. I've been doing this since 2005. So well, I, I hope I speak for the audience that we thank you for your service and and uh, very welcome. We're 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 set to learn some lessons from you here today, and and I think we should start things off with a, a couple things. First of all, head over to veteranlandlord.com for uh, an intro video and, and some basic information. But you can also find Edward O'Daniel at edwardodaniel.com. And he's also on Facebook. Uh, I know a lot of people reach out to you there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were chatting before I hit record, the the concept that when it comes to real estate investing and kind of <clears throat> the DIY, being your own landlord, and a few other things, but you were even saying we need to back up even a little bit further than that and even decide on whether we want to be our own landlord or if we want to look at and entertain something called turnkey rentals. And uh, uh, why don't we why don't we start there? Um, and what how would somebody decide between the two? Sure. Well, <clears throat> right now a lot of people start talking about and teaching you how to be a landlord, how to self manage your own property what you need to look for. But I would even just say a lot of the people that approach me, I like to get your mindset right first. A lot of people who go into self-management, they really need to understand what self-management means, what you're actually going to be committing to when you do that. And is that something that you really want? And to really think about that before you start investing, because you're going to start spending a good deal of your money and potentially time and energy to do this. Is that really the best use of that time, energy, and effort? So let's kind of hop into it. Before we start getting and you start getting into the rental property game. Everybody wants to because they know the benefits. You know, We don't have to go over those here on this podcast, but everybody knows all the benefits you get from rental property, passive income being one of them. But the one thing that people have to understand is when you start doing your own property management, when you start being your own landlord, there's a lot of things that I try to teach people to consider first. And I, it's okay. I'd like to kind of go over them. There's actually five pillars of property management that I go over with people. And if, you, if you're okay with doing all of these five pillars, then you're more than welcome to, I think you'd be a good fit to be your own landlord. But if not, if anywhere in here says, I don't want to do that, or I don't want to be involved in that, or learn about that, then you should seriously consider not managing your own property because you will need to do, or you will need to hire somebody to do all of these, which means you still need to manage the process. Even though you hire somebody, you still need to be the manager of that person which means that you're going to have some input. So let's kind of go over it here. Um, I'll just go over the five real quick and kind of break sure. things down. But there's going to be marketing is one pillar. Leasing is going to be another pillar. Maintenance. There's financial 
meaning bookkeeping and all the accounting involved in managing your own properties. And then last but not least, that people don't think are very sexy is legal. So you're going to need to know all five of those if you really want to become your own landlord, meaning marketing. How do you do marketing? Are you going to want to know how to market? Are you going to want to build those those sort of internet pipelines of being able to put your property out there and publish it and have it get out to all of these sites? And then when that happens, what are you going to do with all these emails and phone calls that start coming in? How are you going to handle that? You see what I mean? Because if you want to handle it yourself, now you're giving up all your time, energy, and effort to do that. But if you want to hire a call center to do it, well, that's going to be a cost too. So that has to be factored in. If you want to have that done, ultimately, you're going to have to be involved. So you're going to have to be a marketer. Mm -hmm. Okay. People aren't good at marketing. If you're not, for instance, an an extrovert, kind of like I am, um, and just love talking to people, well, that can be a problem for you. So if you're sort of introverted, you don't really like to talk to people, that's going to really be a problem when you try to talk to tenants and have to deal with tenants on a daily or monthly basis. So that's just one small part of it, just understanding the marketing part. Now, leasing is another one. You know, leasing involves going through, handling forms, getting legal documents up there. If you want to do that, you want to go through having all the leasing and potentially even the evictions. Now, I know a lot of people have talked about the eviction moratorium and having people not pay rent and getting them kicked out. Well, that's a part about being a landlord. You know, if you want to be a landlord, that's something that you're going to have to deal with or have somebody on your team that you're going to have to pay to deal with. So all these things that you're going to begin outsourcing, you're going to have to start asking yourself, how much is that going to cut into this passive income I'm making on my rental property? So yes, I'm making money, but now I have to pay out to get this done to make it to make being a landlord easier or I have to pay somebody to do this. Um, it all adds up. And I, I like people to have a better understanding of just all of these components because they do take their toll on your time, your energy, your money, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, the third one I mentioned was maintenance. Again, everybody hates maintenance. You know, all those, the nightmare that the toilet doesn't flush in the middle of the night or the sink is backed up or the, the sewer line is uh, backing up and things like that. Well, you're going to have to build a team of people because you're going to need to have the same way wholesalers and rehabbers have teams of people from you know, inspectors or appraisers to plumbers, electricians, people who do heating and cooling, you're a landlord. You're going to need somebody that you can call anytime that kind of happens because most of the time as a landlord, you're not going to be the person that's going to handle that. You're going to be the person that probably ends up taking that phone call and understanding and maybe even trying to do some upfront troubleshooting if you're technically inclined to help maybe reduce that phone call and you know, reduce the maintenance call, but you're going to need a team of people behind you, which means now you need to build a Rolodex if you're going to become a landlord. You're going to need good quality people that can do things at a fair price and be available and reliable for you when you need them. Mm-hmm. So I hope I didn't scare anybody off yet, but we're only three of the five. <laughs> right. So I mean, but I'm just trying to be completely upfront and brutally honest with you. Um, I'm completely about information. I give it to you raw. I don't pull back. You know, this is what you're in for. But um, so maintenance can really be a pain. But I will have to say, if you do a good job on the front end with renovating and so forth, your maintenance can be very direct, dramatically reduced. Now, that's a whole other podcast episode of how to prep and uh, and sort of renovate a property to make sure those maintenance calls are less. But it is possible if you do it up front to just include that in the cost of the purchase. And then that way, your maintenance can be even years down the road before you start having problems unless your tenants beat it up and purposely damage it. Um, so the next one is going to be the fourth one is financial. 
just dealing with the finances. Now, this just involves QuickBooks, but not a lot of people are accounting oriented. I mean, some people have a problem just balancing their checkbook every month, mm-hmm. you know, and reconciling it, making sure that they don't overspend. Well, this is a whole other game. You know, now you're having to keep books. Now you're having to deal with accountants and CPAs because the tax has become so complex in real estate that you don't know, you know, if you want to use depreciation, for instance, which is a benefit of real estate, that's going to require a CPA. There's going to have to be a depreciation schedule that's kept. That amount's going to have to be um, managed inside of your QuickBooks. So again, going back to costs, now you have a CPA that you have to pay for. Now you're going to have increased taxes every year because of the complexity of your return. Whereas most people now, you can follow a wizard maybe and just do a 1040A form or something like that and do it online. But now it does require CPA. I do not recommend having rental property that you do yourself unless you're a CPA or you know that's something that you do. But it is going to require QuickBooks, which again is a moderate expense, but you're going to have to use it every single month. Keep your books up to date. You're going to need to know track rent, track late payments, you know, things like that. All that stuff is going to have to be done, which means it's going to have to be set up and maintained by you, or you're going to have to pay somebody to do it. Mm-hmm. So again, I hope I have still have some people that are still interested in this <laughs> after all of this, because now we're getting to the part that uh, a lot of people just really don't like. And it's the last thing that I ever hear people pay attention to is the legal portion. And the legal portion can be the most deadly for people because the legal portion, uh, there's this little thing called a fair housing law. And if you don't follow it by being a, a landlord, you can get sued and you can get sued pretty quickly by just saying the wrong thing on the phone, putting the wrong thing in your marketing text. You can be accused of um, of a violation of the fair housing law. So that's just one big one. There's other ones out there that people are unaware of. Like, what if you have pets? If you allow pets, you know, service related animals versus emotional support animals. This is a big one that we go over on the veteran landlord. I have a whole you know video that goes over, here's what an emotional support animal is, and here's the rules regarding this versus service animals, what you can and can't do on each one of them. So be careful about that. Um, that's just another example, or how to deal with people who have disabilities. You know, what, what are your legal requirements? What are you allowed to do or what you can do? And how do you work with somebody that may have disabilities that, for instance, may want to put a handicap ramp on the front of your house? You know, what do you say to that? How do you respond? So you're going to have to know all of that stuff. And I'm not saying it's going to take you months or even weeks to understand it, but it does require, I would say, going to a class and at least taking a class on fair housing law, pay a hundred bucks and take something from a professional online so that you know what to include, what not to include to be sued. But you're kind of missing the point. If you don't even want to do that, then you shouldn't go into self-management. That's just, out of all the things I talked about here, just from the going over it again, the marketing, dealing with all the marketing stuff and all the technology online, because doing stuff nowadays is a technology game. You can't be sort of an older person or a person that's non-technology related and expect to really do well, because a lot of things are electronic, digital signatures on everything, and just the speed of how all that stuff works. Most of the software that are out there now works electronically. And if you don't know how to deal with it, it's going to be a challenge for you. But the marketing, the leasing, the financial side, the maintenance, and even the legal, all of these are reasons why I say you shouldn't be it. If you don't want to learn or know how to to do all of those, then just stop right there and try to do another alternative by investing in uh, somebody or a turnkey rental provider that can just provide you a property that's already renovated 
And then that person or their another company can manage it for you and handle all of that stuff for you. You pay them to do the marketing, the leasing. The, you will have some financials. I mean, you'll eventually, you have to do your taxes. But again, you hopefully you'll make enough passive income on your properties to help cover some of those uh, tax-related items at the end. But you don't have all the other stuff that you normally have to do. The property manager who handles that property should be able to handle all of it because you're utilizing that those systems. And I literally say that in the literal term. Every one of those things that I talked about, marketing, leasing, financial, they're all systems that you need to implement. And that's kind of what my free course on Veteran Landlord covers. It's just called the Landlord Starter Kit. But it goes over, here's the type of marketing that you need to be putting in place if you want to manage. Here's what you need to do for leasing. Here's how you handle maintenance and get things done there. So once you have a system put in place, then it's a matter of following that system. Now, if you're the kind of landlord that wants to do multiple property investments, you want to go 5, 10, 20, 50 properties and greater, then it might make sense for you to make this initial investment up front because this investment is really going to determine how you want Again, in the future, the people that you hire to manage your portfolio to manage it for you. Mm -hmm. But you have to be the person that sets those standards, that set that system up. Either that or you have to buy a system from somebody else that's already working and then implement that. But if you're going to be an investor that's going to buy a lot of properties, then it does make sense to overcome this hurdle and to go down this particular road now. Because what you end up finding is... Well, I'll just flat out say it. The amount of money that you're paying a property manager, you may very well be able to bring that in-house at some point. But initially getting started, if you're just buying property, I would just say, I actually recommend to people, <clears throat> it's better to spend all of that time that you would do learning, spending on tenants, and reinvest that into an opportunity cost of buying more property. So just to remind everybody, head over to veteranlandlord.com for some of the information that Edward is talking about here. Um, also find him on Facebook. But uh, so, Edward, you've gotten everybody scared half to death trying this themselves. And now they're thinking about doing... I'm so sorry. <laughs> they're, they're thinking about turnkey. Um, you and I talked briefly before we hit record here that, I mean, uh -huh. I there is some concern there. You know, I, I frankly have gotten burned by turnkey rentals out of state. Mm -hmm. um, and some other people have had great experiences. What are some of the things if they are interested in, let's define what a turnkey property is first. Um, okay. So <clears throat> turnkey is a term out there that's just been thrown around and has lots of different meanings. So it can mean, I've seen it used as loosely as it's just the property that is currently rented that has a tenant in it. That's it. It has nothing to do with the property condition. They just call it turnkey because if you buy it from them, then hopefully, you know, if the tenant is paying on time, that you will start making money the next month that you buy it. Mm -hmm. So you buy it, you start immediately making money. Now, that's a lot of what I hear about when people buy a turnkey property. But I would urge people so much, please be careful and do your due diligence. Maintenance is going to absolutely kill your cash flow. The numbers, are, sorry, I'm kind of diverting off. Let me go back to the turnkey. What I consider to be a turnkey property is a property that has been purchased and it has been renovated in such a way that the investor's expenses for maintenance are minimized for at least five years. 
So we're talking about all the major systems that if you have, you know, typically with me, if we have an HVAC or even a water heater that's more than 10 years old, it gets replaced. You know, it just, even if it works fine, it can last another five or eight years. But if you're selling a property, I always have to sit back and look at it as this property, it has to, the numbers have to work with the purchase price and me putting in all new systems. If the roof is outdated, it has to have a new roof. The gutters have to work. Waters have to be drained. Plumbing has to be handled. Stacks, if they're older, just get them replaced. Get the sewer line looked at to make sure that you don't have any problems, clogs, breaks, or anything like that. So what you end up getting is a property that has been gone over by somebody who does property management. So they know the problems that you're going to face from the drainage, the water issue, the water pressure, and some of the systems. All of those things have been updated. Now, those are the foundational infrastructure parts of the house. I haven't even begun to talk about, you know, prepping to make sure that you can minimize um, the expenses inside your house. Like, for instance, it's just a personal preference of mine, JD. I don't like putting carpet in unless it's absolutely necessary. And even if so, I I do it like in a basement and I use like carpet squares, something that I can, uh, you know, pull out a small piece and replace it if it's damaged and not have to replace the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But I'm all about just hardwood floors using, you know, good hardwood sort of waterproof type floors that are very durable because they, they last up the longest. In our area, whenever somebody moves in and out, we have to clean the carpets every time. And these are the carpets can be cleaned. Sometimes mm-hmm. they've already been stained to the point where they have to be replaced. And that is an example of just a pet peeve of mine that I don't like to put carpet in unless I absolutely have to, and I'll use carpet squares to do it just so it, I can pull a piece out and, and put it back in. But all the cosmetic pieces, of course, it needs to be painted. Of course, the bathroom and uh, the kitchens need to be updated, or at least very nice and functional for the area. All of that stuff goes into a turnkey rental. So the infrastructure, the core pieces of the house, the, especially the drainage, I'm, a lot of people don't pay attention to that, but I do. Gutters, downspouts, I see houses that have gutters that are way too long. They need to have downspouts added in order to handle the water flow. You know, you have five and six inch gutters and one downspout on a, you know, 40 foot, 50 foot run of a house. Well, people look at that and I see something different than what somebody else would. Um, I I put a couple other things in there, but those are the things I look for whenever I'm looking at buying a house, because I want that property to have very little maintenance over the next five plus years and to really truly give you a cash flow return that you can generate based upon, you know, your analyzer or whatever else you're using. So, okay, so that was let, a really long-winded one. So uh, no, that's what I would consider a turnkey property. And of course, it's rented. You know, right. out, out of all of that, now you have a renter in there that's going to you know, hopefully at least have a two-year lease or longer initially, and that they're going to stay long-term as well. Sure. So okay, you've gotten people on board. They're they're interested in turkey, turnkey, but how do? What are some of the questions that they should ask, and what type of due diligence should they do? regarding a tur- turnkey property? Okay. Well, really, it's just researching a particular company. And that goes back to researching anything. I mean, if you want to pick up a, a great restaurant, you're just going to go online, look at the, they should have an online business posting through Google. If they don't, that should be a red flag because otherwise there's no way for people to leave reviews. So they should have an online profile. And if not, then I would have to really ask why on that one. But <clears throat> most of them will. And if they do, look at the reviews. People will leave a review. If they suck, 
you will know about it. People out there will complain and they'll simply have a very low rating, in which case that right there, why don't they have more? If they have a lot of good, happy customers, why don't they have a, a 4.8, you know, 5.0 rating? Why do they have a 2.5 um, mm-hmm. on there? So that, that would be the first indicator of whether or not you would even want to go with somebody. But even just asking them, what does a turnkey property mean to you? I kind of spewed out a bunch of stuff here, but listen to what somebody else says. You know, oh, but well, we buy it, we renovate it, we try to minimize it. You know, we don't do anything major in the property. And, you know, we try to keep the cost down and, and transfer the cost on to you. Well, that's very nice, but that doesn't that doesn't help me if after I buy the property, I have a ton of maintenance and then there's you know thousands of dollars in plumbing and then I, I have thousands of dollars more in HVAC. These type of things are exactly what kill cash flow for years. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you don't factor all of that into your upfront purchase price, I like all the capital improvements to a property to be done upfront and have it all financed together because that way you have one cost that you know is going to be steady and now you know your cash flow moving forward. <clears throat> so again, not to repeat myself, ask them about what they mean by a turnkey property, mm-hmm. you know, and just see what they say about that. See if what they're talking about makes sense, or just see if it reeks of, you know, BS. <laughs> right. So those are going to be just the initial ones. But then the biggest ones are what market do you pick? You know, most of the time you might not have a local turnkey provider in your market. You might even not even live in a market that is feasible for rental properties, especially if you live on the coast, mm-hmm. you know, those properties just don't cash flow as well. Or like, is, forgive me, I don't mean to bring up a sore subject, but like the Indiana state, mm-hmm. Indiana is a great state. Missouri is a great state. I'm, a, I'm from St. Louis. It's a great market, you know, from the rental prices uh, that we're able to get for the property versus how much we can buy and renovate them for. So these are the type of questions I would simply ask and, and even ask if they have a financial statement for that particular property. Because if you have a turnkey provider, they should be able to say, here's a breakdown of the purchase price, the cost, all of the management expenses. Here's what we're going to hold back. Here's what we're going to do. And here's your cash flow. And if that rate of return is not what you're looking for, then just simply don't buy it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, I'm going to jump back into the landlord thing uh, a bit okay. too. You know, you, you were talking about, um, you know, if, if you don't want to do these five pillars, Mm-hmm. Um, you want to hire a property manager. Like, what are some of those questions they should? I typically have found that mm-hmm. there's a lot of, at least in my market, there's a lot of wannabe uh, property managers. They, uh-huh. uh, they're just uh, anyway. In in a nutshell, a lot of the time the interests aren't aligned. You know, they're they're typically trying to keep their staff busy. They're trying uh-huh. to. They're trying to bill out as much many hours as they possibly can. What type of questions would you uh, typically ask a a property manager to see if it's a good fit? Okay, so great. Now we're switching gears. I love this, Joey. This is awesome. This is you got me on this one. All right, so let's go over this. So if you're talking to a property manager, again, use the same principles that we just talked about when we talk about a turnkey rental. They should have a website presence. That should be professional looking. They should have a presence on Google. They should have reviews. All of these things still come into play. So without talking about those again, that should be your your first line of doing that. They should be completely transparent with their clients, meaning, (laughs) sorry, your cat. Uh, Never mind. I'm sorry about that. Um, I'm a cat person myself, so I know we're getting getting off. But uh, so they should be completely open with you. They should be able to say, may I see your management agreement? So asking them for their management agreement. 
The management agreement is the agreement that you have between the property manager and the owner that simply defines what we do and what you do. You know, what we, what we expect of you and what you should expect of us. That's what it defines. They should be able to willingly give that to you. We have it posted on our website. It's the number one FAQ on our, on our website that we mail people whenever they're interested. Here we go. Um, download it. These are all the things and all of our fees, charges, and everything else are completely open during that particular process. So that's the first thing is to sit back and say, will you do this? And even, you know, can you tell me about your lease? Do you charge late fees? Do you charge this? There's a whole other, like there's, without going through all of them, if you go to bigger pockets or whatever, they have a, a lot of stuff about questions to ask a property manager. But literally, when you ask them questions, ask them 10 to 20 questions. Don't just ask them two or three. Ask them 10 or 20, you know, because I just went over this a couple of days ago with just some clients calling me. First time person, she asked me like 25 questions and listen to what the person says. Do they stumble? Do they, if they ask them a question, do they just, you know, right off the bat, do they know the answer? Can they explain it to you in a way that's not techie? Because this right here just levels, goes to the point where how many times they've answered that question before. So the answers they talk about should make sense to you. They should resonate with you like you're talking about. Is this property manager going to be a good fit for me? You know, what do you do if a tenant is not paying rent? How do you handle that? You know, that's a fair question. This is what we do. This is how we handle it and so forth. And uh, that's an example of, well, if they don't pay, then we kick their door in and we throw out their entire family on the street. That's just the way we are. Eh, you know, that, that's a bit harsh, you know. Is there a step in between there that you do? So just listening to the property manager will let you know if that person's uh, personality and their style of management is going to match your own. But the one big question that I would have to sit back and make sure the the wannabes to eliminate them, are you required to be licensed in your state to manage property and make sure they give you the right answer? Mm -hmm. For instance, in the state of Missouri, and I think in Indiana too, you have to be a licensed realtor in order to manage manage property for someone else. So that's that's a requirement. Other people would be like, well, it's a requirement, but only if we do this, 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 but that's not how we run our business. So we don't have to be licensed. Be cautious to people like that. So find out if it is, if you do have to be licensed in that state, if they're not licensed, then be cautious. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting that you bring up the online ratings for landlords because i've actually found that if if i go online and and google get and everybody gives them like a, a five or 4.8 or something that landlord mm-hmm. is typically out to please the the residents versus mm-hmm. and and they typically i found that they typically aren't a good fit just because they're out to please the the residents instead of taking care of the of the owner Exactly. You know, so, it's it's a it's it's one of those things again where uh, you got to find that happy middle median <laughs> versus pegging the needle one way or the other. I, I get what you're saying, JD, but I, I would have to slightly disagree with you because it would depends upon who the person submitting the review is. You know, if you had a hundred reviews and seventy of them came from your clients that you had, and all your clients gave you a five rating, would you still feel the same way? You said, I mean, if these are, these are tenants, these are just the clients that are reporting, you know, Edward did a great job or JD did an excellent job, you know, managing our property, definitely have to highly recommend them. So, but if it's all tenant based, oh, they're a great landlord. Oh, they're, yeah. If that's the case, then I'm wondering, you know, how much rent did you offer them off 
you know, to give you a good review. Did that, right. did that cost you a $20 gift card for that review? So sure. If there are a lot of tenant reviews, then absolutely. You would, you would think that there could be bias and they could be buying their reviews if that's the case. But if you're a good property manager, you're always going to have some negative one-star reviews from tenants. And if you don't have that, then you, you better look out. Because there's going to be tenants out there that are not happy with you. So I would definitely have to say, if you have a 5.0 rating and everybody loves you, that could be, you know, that I wouldn't say a red flag. If you had four reviews, that may not be a red flag. If you had 400 reviews, then I would have to say something's not quite right because you can't please everybody. There's going to be somebody ticked off at you. If you have to evict an attendant for whatever reason, then... I'm sorry. If you don't pay, we, you know, we have to evict you. That's what I have to do for my client. They're having to pay a mortgage on this thing. And of course, they're going to leave you a review about something or other that they're just mad about you. But as long as you have a decent reply to them, you know, I'm sorry we had to kick you out. I'm sorry you couldn't pay rent. You know, I gave you an option to leave and you chose not to. Mm-hmm. So we had no choice but to eliminate you. And I wish you the best. I mean, what else can you do? Right. No, I, you know, this has been a great conversation. Like, uh, you know, we, we, we talked a little bit about, uh, well, I made you jump around quite a bit, but so I love in, it. in, in the end, like, uh, it, your company, I know that you have, you, you are a landlord. Mm-hmm. Do you also sell these turnkey properties? We do not on a massive scale, but um, we sell them in St. Louis and we just sell them to select clients that we know are already looking to buy. So we kind of work with our existing clients who are looking to acquire more properties because they believe and they trust in us to pick the area, the type of property, and then sell them something like I mentioned earlier that is already renovated. They're going to have minimal expenses for and that they can get into with a with a minimal down payment. Mm-hmm. So can you give us a little picture? Because everybody's always interested in this and, and I mm-hmm. kind of regret saving this towards the end of our, our discussion, but what can they expect when, you know, regarding return on investment, how much does, uh, as a, as a landlord, a distance landlord, I'm going to call it, call it that, what should they expect to be paying for the landlord? And what is the, like that return on investment have you been seeing locally in St. Louis? Okay. Well, I think um, when you're saying paying the landlord, you mean like property management fees? That, yeah, property management for? fees. And okay. what other what other type of fees could they expect? You know, I know that in in my market, for example, there's a mm-hmm. there's a fee for a new new lease, and there's a fee for, um, you know, they well they charge a fee for every almost every activity. To be frank, <laughs> well, and that's true. I mean, a property manager is basically a service based person. Um, no different than if you went into a dry cleaner. You know, if you're having your shirt dry clean, that's one thing. If you're having a stain removed, well, that's an additional cost to remove a stain. If you want to have extra starch or something, that could be another charge uh, and expense that they're going to have for you. So it it is service-based, but typically you're going to be paying, depending on the company, anywhere between 8 to 12% for management fees. Typically in the middle, you're going to be around 10. It's going to be pretty standard. You are going to be paying the first month's rent for finding a tenant because there's a lot involved in that whole marketing process and the cost of doing that, especially since uh, last, I'm just trying to think what year almost is, at least a year ago, Zillow started charging all the landlords to post rentals 
you know, on Zillow, one of the big uh, monsters out there that really drives a lot of leads, as well as the other sites that they charge for, they charge for that now. So that's additional cost that you have in the marketing space. I mean, even if you're a do-it-yourself person, they charge you I think $10 per property per week just to keep a property on Zillow. So, I mean, that's $40 a month just in, in the, and that's hopefully if you get somebody, you know, if you do your marketing right with the right pictures and anyway, but those additional costs involved with that. So you do pay the first month's rent for leasing up the property. However, you should not have to pay that if you already have a tenant in place. Mm-hmm. So just because there's a tenant in place doesn't mean that there's automatically going to be a leasing fee. We charge a leasing fee when the property goes vacant for us to turn that property over to get it ready, back up for another tenant to market and to find another property and to produce at least a 12-month lease. That's what we charge the first month's rent for, and that's what you should expect. Now, if you sign a longer lease, it might be you know, 100, you know 150% or even 200% of the monthly rent if you get a longer lease you know, for somebody staying longer. But um, you could very well end up paying for time and materials. You know, if, the, if, if you've got a one-off type thing and uh, a property manager has to go meet with somebody, like if you're refinancing, you know, typically I don't do this, but you can pay in like an hourly rate if your property manager has to go out and meet appraisers or meet other people if you're refinancing to get the property done for you. You know, those aren't property management services. Those are extra, but you would hope that your property manager would want your business enough to let that slide and provide that as an extra um, sort of service that you that you get with it. But some people do charge for that. Some people do charge for maintenance, depending on what levels of maintenance and service they have. Do they have mm-hmm. a 24-hour call center that they have online for their tenants? Do they have real-time like emergency response to that, well, those services could cost the property manager more, which in turn, they turn around and, and charge a percentage or a certain flat fee uh, per maintenance item for maintenance. But all of these are just things that you have to ask about upfront, and they should be very well listed in their management agreements. You know, here's all of our charges and fees. Lease renewals is another one that you could probably commonly get if you want to. That's going to be, you know, 100, 200 bucks a year if you want to renew a lease and keep them in there. But I would just say all of the stuff that the property manager do, does should make you money. Now, I understand a lot of people think about it as you're paying it, but the property manager is there. Just think about this. If, if they can renew a tenant for another year, what is your reduction in the loss of vacancy that you have for, for a couple of weeks or a month or even longer that it's going to take you to get that property re-rented? Sometimes, depending on where you're at, you might have to fix it up and have the property inspected before it can be re-rented, which is what happens in Indiana. You know, you have to have an occupancy inspection and they can make you do certain things and that takes a certain amount of time. Well, what does that turnover cost ultimately mean? Serving them well on maintenance, keeping them happy, keeping them their property fixed up, communicating well with them, and then you charging $150 for sort of handling the lease and the paperwork of getting it renewed. That's a small cost to potentially thousands of dollars that you lost in your cash flow by not having that person renew it. Because in the rental property business, renewal is the name of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, renewals are where you make your money. If people turn over every 12 months, it's going to be very challenging for landlords to make money. What you're looking for is two, three, five-year tenants or longer, because that's when the cash flow just stacks, stacks, and stacks, especially if you did a very good job in your maintenance to make sure you reduce your maintenance costs. So was there anything else I could... Um, no, no, I no, think I, I think, I think that I think that covers covers it. You know, um, with that being said, I, I want to remind everybody head over to veteranlandlord.com. Uh, take a look for Edward O'Daniel on uh, the socials, and I'll make sure to include those links in the uh, show notes. 
But uh, I really appreciate your time today. This was a great conversation. And before I let you go, mm-hmm. is there a question you wished I would have asked you today? Um, yes. Yeah. Edward, are you an all-around great guy? Well, Edward, are you an all-around great guy? Thank you so much for asking, JD. Yes, I am. I like to consider myself over an all-around great guy. I really love helping people. But uh, no, I say that with a little bit of humor. But um, I kind of start a lot of my presentations from real groups I speak at with just kind of that. Here's some information about myself. But all around, just think of me as I'm an all-around good guy. I'm here to really want to help you out because when I got started in this business back in 2005, I got hammered, you know, from... If you remember 2005 market, that was not the greatest time to buy because the proper, the market was like it is now. It's kind of a seller's market. And I really wish I knew things that I knew now, but I didn't have anybody to teach me or I didn't know. So I really want people to have that knowledge of should you self-manage? Should you do it yourself? What to expect? Because if you know what to expect, even if it happens, you're at least aware of it. And it's not a surprise. It doesn't kick you in the teeth or anything like that. You're able to you know, to, to take the, take the hit, if that makes sense, because you knew it was coming, mm-hmm. but at least you knew it was coming, but uh, I just love helping people. That's all. So go check us out, take the free course. You know, it should take you less than a day to go through it. Probably give you a lot of great information. So, well, I appreciate it again. And, and uh, this has been a great conversation and hope you can uh, come back sometime. Awesome. I'd love to come back. JD, thanks so much for having me, man. It was terrific. This has been the REI Mastermind Network. You can already tell that we've made some changes and a few more are on the way. If you are interested in what we have planned, head over to patreon.com slash REI Mastermind and support the show today. Financial contributions are always appreciated along with a like, share, and review. It really helps us grow and reach more people with this valuable information. See you next time and tell a friend.